we continue a sermon series that I kicked off last week, looking at the life of Jesus. Today we're going to look at Jesus' childhood. So we are reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, reading really the only story in the Bible that we have from Jesus' childhood. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee and there own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to their custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relative and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor. With God and man. Most of you probably know by now me enough to know that when I read the scriptures, I am a person that asks weird questions and make, makes weird observations. When I read the Bible, I always wonder what was Jesus like? But what was he really like? Do you know in all the scriptures we have no description whatsoever of what he looked like? Never. We have no idea what Jesus looked like. It's it's not even remotely hinted at. What was his voice like? What did he sound like? What was his demeanor? I wonder this especially about his childhood. What was Jesus like as a kid? I mean, as a five-year-old, what was Jesus like? Fully God, fully human. A five-year-old. The Bible says that Jesus was without sin. I I cannot imagine a five-year-old without sin. That's like so foreign to me. What was Jesus like without sin at five years old? What would it have been like to be Jesus' neighbors? You're the neighbor boy. is the son of God. To be Jesus' brothers and sisters... I mean, we know from the scriptures that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Some traditions try to say that, that they, they were from Joseph's previous marriage or something. But the Bible just calls them brothers and sisters. What would it have been like? How many of you had an older brother or older sister that was like the perfect child, right? And you, 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 always, you always were like trying to, trying to deal with living in this person's shadow. Imagine your brother is the son of God. That's a rough childhood, Imagine being Jesus' parents, knowing what you know about him, but not understanding how it's all going to work. Understanding that this child that you changed his diapers, 
this child that you watch learn how to walk is somehow going to save all humanity. I'm not the only person that wondered this, by the way. There are some old stories. There's, a, there's an apocryphal book, in other words, a book that's written later that we don't include in the Bible, called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. This is not the Gospel of Thomas that you, you see more books on. This is an even smaller, more obscure one. Infancy Gospel of Thomas tells some stories about Jesus' childhood. Like this. At one point, Jesus makes five birds out of mud and then claps his hands and they turn into real birds and fly away. Jesus is helping his father in the carpenter shop and there's a board that's too short. And so Jesus says something and the board lengthens to just the right length. This is, you can tell why this is not in our Bible, right? Jesus causes a boy who teases him to die. And then when other boys complain, Jesus makes them blind. And then he heals them all so that he doesn't get in trouble. Jesus raises a boy from the dead after he falls off of a roof because people started blaming him that he was the one that pushed, them, pushed the boy off. I don't think these are real stories, right? This makes Jesus sound like a selfish boy with way too much power. But it shows that even in, in the time really close to Jesus, people are starting to wonder about what Jesus was like. What was his childhood like? But as interesting as I think those questions are, the Bible doesn't seem to care at all about those questions. Gives no description. If the Bible was a novel, we would get Jesus' insights. What's Jesus thinking? How's he approaching things? We get descriptions about what he looked like. What was his house like? We get none of that. The Bible doesn't seem to care at all about what Jesus was like. What the Bible seems to care about is who Jesus was and what Jesus did. The description of his demeanor, of what he was like, just not there. Look, for example, at his childhood. We have several little stories at the beginning, right? The birth, his circumcision, the idea that they have to run to Egypt to escape from uh, all the babies being killed. And we have this story. That's it. The next thing that we know, Jesus is 30. Here, Jesus is about 12. We can, I think say a few things about Jesus' childhood. First of all, I think we can say about Jesus that he was just pretty normal. I mean, I think if Jesus looked like some kind of freak, had a third arm or two noses or something, that would probably have been recorded. That he's not described means he's probably just a normal first century Jewish-looking guy. And he probably had a pretty normal childhood. I mean, as funny as these stories are about him lengthening boards for his dad as a carpenter, you know, when we go into Jesus' life, we have stories of his family coming and thinking that he's crazy and wanting to talk him out of some of the things that he's doing. His neighbors, all the people from the town that he was in, wouldn't believe that he was the Messiah because they said, we know your parents. We know where you grew up. I don't think Jesus did miracles as a kid. I think he just lived a pretty normal life. We know, too, from our story so far, that Jesus lived a pretty Jewish life. He goes to the Passover like he's supposed to. He gets circumcised like he's supposed to. He lives a pretty normal Jewish life. This is important, by the way. It means Jesus was not just rebelling against the Jewish faith. He really sees himself as the extension, the next step, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Jesus also seems to have some kind of understanding early on. 
of who he was. Shouldn't you know that I would be at my father's house? He's already got, at 12 years old, insights that are astounding the priests. And so let's, let's dive into this story a little bit and see what we can say, not necessarily about how, what Jesus was like, but what is this, this saying about who Jesus was? Being from a good Jewish family, um, they probably went to Jerusalem several times a year, but, but if you were at all close and it was at all possible, you would go on the Passover. And so at this Passover, Jesus is 12. They would have traveled in a caravan with family and neighbor from the town. That was the safe way to travel in those days. And so everybody would pack up and they'd leave on a certain day and they'd come back at the end of the festival. Jesus is 12 years old, so you need to understand that, that we have this thing called teenage years. So you go through all this and then you have young adult. But, but in Jesus' day... He's probably already had his bar mitzvah. He's already considered an adult. There's no teenagers. Okay? Mary might have been about his age when an angel first showed up to tell her some very astounding news. Jesus is not some child. He, he is, at this time, really becoming a young adult. And so we read this story, and we, in our mental, in our thing, think, how terrible a parents are Mary and Joseph to leave their kid and not for a day figure it out they left him back at the town. But they would have just assumed that he traveled with the family. And Jesus knew his way around Jerusalem. He went there all the time. And so they're not real concerned until they get a day away from Jerusalem and find that he is not with them. The festival ends. They, they come home. But Jesus stays And it's not until three days later that they finally find him sitting in the temple asking questions of the rabbi. And then apparently they're asking questions back to him and are amazed at how he is responding. Mary and Joseph are outraged at Jesus. Mary says to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Is Jesus being a bad son? That's not his assumption. And he's without sin, so I'm going to assume not. No, he's doing what he feels like he is called to do. Jesus, already at 12, has a sense of purpose. An idea that he's being prepared for something. And isn't the language strange? Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you. Joseph has been acting as Jesus' father. But we know from previously in Luke that Jesus is not, or Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. In fact, Jesus responds in sort of that way. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Isn't that an interesting comparison? Is this a rejection of Jesus, by Jesus, of Joseph's fathership? I, I don't think so. But I think Jesus has this sense that he has a bigger purpose beyond just Mary and Joseph. And so his impression is, why were you looking for me? Isn't it obvious that this is where I had to be? But his parents don't understand. Of course, after Jesus is resurrected, he has to explain this to a bunch of people, what his purpose was and why he did things the way he did. But Jesus goes with them. Text says that he is submissive to them, which sort of implies that he doesn't have to be. Of course, if he's the son of God, he, he doesn't have to be. He is submitting. Uh, in fact, Paul would, would say that later. 
that Jesus is, Jesus is humbling himself. He's doing this intentionally. So Jesus, at least by 12, is starting to understand. But Mary is not. The text says in this lovely phrase that Luke uses several times, Mary treasures all these things up in her heart. I wonder if that is just a poetic way of saying that Mary had no flipping clue what to say to Jesus in this moment. I think she's just overwhelmed. Jesus grew. He had a sense that he still had work to be done. That he still had to be prepared. If you want to understand this story, I think you also you have to look at it also in the context of Luke. See, when we look at these stories, we tend to look at them as chunks. Just read the story and that's it. But Luke is doing something very interesting with this story that I think you miss if you just read this story. Jesus, about the age of 30, so he's 12 now, at 30, starts his public ministry, which was pretty common. Normally at 12, you were becoming adult, and normally you would become the master of your trade at about 30. If you're a rabbi, you would be a disciple up until then, and then you could be your own rabbi and start having your own disciples. So Jesus at 30 starts his ministry. And so um, he has a public ministry for about 33 years. And the Gospel of Luke records that about 21 years later, Jesus would return to Passover in the same city. He probably has been doing it this whole time. But 21 years later, he would come at a special time. Back to this same temple that he's found teaching in this story. So we pick up in Luke 19.45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and scribes and principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is after the triumphal entry in the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus' last, last week of his earthly ministry. So at the beginning, he goes to the temple and teaches as a child. But now here, as Jesus' earthly ministry is winding up, he ends up at the same temple, chasing these people out. And what does he say? Quoting the Old Testament, My house shall be a house of prayer. And then he continues to explain, You have made it a den of robbers. Interesting change of language, isn't it? That Jesus would talk about his father's house early, but later says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And the reaction of the scribes is different too, isn't it? Rather than being astonished and amazed, they're ready to kill him, looking for any opportunity to get at him. Perhaps Jesus knows more about his mission at this. Perhaps at 12, he understands that he has a purpose, but but does he understand that he really is God at that point? Or does that develop for him over time? Again, the Bible doesn't seem to care whether we know that or not. What is important is that by the end, Jesus knows what he's doing. He comes back to this same temple and he says, this is my house. But the connection doesn't just stop there. At the end of that Passover week, Jesus is crucified. And he is in the ground for three days. 
Note that at the beginning of the story of the temple, Jesus is lost for three days. And now, at the end, Jesus is died and buried for three days. Now, it's not a full three days, if you actually do the math. If he's crucified on a Friday and he's risen on Sunday, we would say, well, that's like a day and a half or two days. But they, they, in that time, they would count their days based on the day that you had, and it, it always ended up at sunset. So if he's crucified on a Friday, then he's in the grave on Friday for a little bit. And then he's in the grave on Saturday, and then if he raises early Sunday morning, that's the third day. But Luke is very specific in his description that both of those are three-day periods. Then in Luke 24, we see this discussion of the women when they go to see Jesus' tomb to take care of his body on Sunday morning. And they were frightened. I mean, Luke 24, 5. They were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground. The men, these, these two men, we assume presumably angels respond to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Notice the men, these angels, use a very similar sort of question as Jesus does at the beginning. Jesus said, when, when they asked him, Why are you looking for me here? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They assume, Jesus assumes that his parents ought to know where he is. When these men say this at the resurrection, they say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for me here? He is not here. That's Jesus. He has risen, remember? Remember he told you? It's the same conversation. He's saying, the, the, the angels here are saying the same thing that Jesus said. You ought to know that I'm not supposed to be where I'd be. You ought to know where, what I'm doing. They remember his words, but they don't know. A lot like Mary, by the way, who treasures these things in her heart, but she doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to tell her. See, if you were reading Luke as a book instead of as a section, you would see these connections and you'd start saying, oh, this was, this was coming the whole time. This started when he was 12, and now he's 33, and he's back fulfilling whatever he was being prepared for back there. As you read the cleansing of the temple, these three days, these connections, you start to connect the dots. Oh, I see, we were building for this moment. Jesus was preparing for this his whole life. His entire life moves towards this cross moves towards this moment and somehow his relationship with the Father drives him to that point. That is the major movement in Luke. In fact, if you were reading Luke like that, what you'd find is throughout it, it's constantly pointing to Jesus going towards Jerusalem. Okay? Most of the book is Jesus' last year of his life as he is moving towards Jerusalem. He's heading in that direction. This is a big motif in the entire book of Luke. We should not be surprised to see that God works in Jesus for a preparation for his purpose later in life. Because God promises the same for us. We are promised that God has plans for us. That God has things prepared for us to do. And it seems to me clear that God's preparation often involves preparing us. Think about that for a moment. 
What if God has plans and purposes for you to do that he was already starting to get you ready for when you were 12, when you were 21, when you were 33? What if God has these kinds of plans and purposes for your life that you are being prepared for? What if you have only begun to scratch the surface of God's plan for your life? Maybe Jesus' example for you ought to push you and inspire you Inspire that by who Jesus is and what he has done. Challenge that if Jesus had to be prepared, it seems pretty clear that I need a lot of work. Comforted with how well Jesus knows what it is like to be human. That when you go through challenges, when God prepares you through difficulties for whatever your future holds in Christ, that Jesus knows exactly what that was like as he went through it on earth too. Lived a normal life as preparation for extraordinary things to be done through it. More than anything today, I want to challenge you to think about this story of Jesus. And remember that that God has a purpose for your life, but that purpose is always linked somehow to Jesus' purpose. That whatever Jesus was prepared to do, whatever Jesus has done, that we celebrate when we look at that cross, we celebrate when we celebrate uh, the sacrament of communion, Whatever that purpose is, that is ultimately what your purpose as a Christian is tied to. That this story tells us that we must have our purpose wrapped up in Christ. That whatever we are being prepared to do, it is always to point back to Christ and to share with others about this amazing gift and to praise and glorify Him in all things. May you find your purpose that God has prepared you for in your life. Let us pray. Jesus, we don't know a lot about what you looked like, what your demeanor was, how you handled yourself, but we know who you are. Fully God and fully man in this unique way, able to save us from our sins and get us into right relationship with the Father. And so we thank you. We thank you that you care about us so much that you give us purposes and you prepare us for things in our own lives. May we walk into those boldly. May we trust in you as you prepare us. And when our moment comes, when the time comes for us to step up and do what you call us to do, give us the faith to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.